the the libertarian, which I they're they're fun to talk to over cocktails because it is just this internal logic that has absolutely no awareness of how the world around it operates. Right. That is a that, um, said that in a way clearer than I've ever been able to say that before. That's very true. <laughs> it's it's. It is, it is such a, an internally logical microcosm that is unaware of itself and how everything else around it allows it to operate. All right, everyone, welcome to Good Guys Getting Better. I'm Christian Hamley. I'm Aline Boatwright. And I'm Terrain Davis. All right, guys, it's nice that you guys can be here today. Appreciate it. And this is the first time we're having Terrain on. So, Terrain, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. And uh, Terrain's actually a good friend of mine going all the way back to law school. We've known each other since we were, well, a lot younger than now. <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been a long time. So, yeah, I wanted to talk about a few things going on right now. So, here in the D.C. area, the big news is that we avoid, er, avoided, uh, averted a government uh, shutdown last night. Um, but I don't know if you guys saw, there was that article that I, I shared with you earlier that apparently outside, uh, the DC area, no one cares. Everyone's kind of taking it for granted that DC is dysfunctional. The government's dysfunctional and that's just the way things are now. What do you guys make of it? Well, I mean, part of the problem is that, you know, it only directly affects, uh, about 3 million people, uh, which is, you know, that's nothing in our, you know, what we, what we, a million died during COVID and, Half people didn't blink an eye. So this is the the the, the this yeah. is where we are now in this in this country is that if it's not directly affecting you individually, then people don't seem to care. We sort of talked a little bit about that last time we spoke, uh, uh, Christian, as far as this, this apathetic sort of you know sentiment and just not caring about other people. Uh, but unfortunately, people don't realize that it trickles down uh, to use a uh, a term from Reagan. <laughs> but it trickles down in yeah. a bad way, uh, very quickly, in fact. Um, but you know, you know, many of the people listening to this might not realize, but I, I am a federal employee at the moment, and um, yeah, we, you know, we. I think part of the 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 lack of concern might also be with those those who are knowledgeable about how this affects everyone. They they probably don't uh, don't believe it's ever going to happen, right? Because the last yeah. four or five times this has happened. It hasn't really happened, right? We, we, there's been the threats, and eventually, at the final hour, a deal is struck. You know, I keep doing my air quotes here because all these terminologies, all these things that we say, are they've become just it's political theater in a lot in a large sense. But at the same time, I think nobody wants to be blamed with having the shutdown happen. So uh, they're going to find a way out of it pretty quickly. I think it's. They they fear the political consequences of it, and it's more so the the being labeled as dysfunctional, especially when you're controlling the body of of, of Congress that uh, is causing the issue. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that's what it is. I don't know, uh, Terrain, what's your 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 view on it, but yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Just uh, the fact that you know we're looking at the 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 breadth of who's truly impacted. Uh, what types of services and, and what type of people are relying on the government to actually function and function at a high level. Um, you know, a lot of administrative agencies, um, you know, outside of that, uh, you know, besides probably Wall Street, maybe uh, those would be the only other, you know, really groups that are largely concerned, those that heavily rely on the government and then those that are um, 
regulated by the government to a sense. Uh, they're really going to be concerned. Everyone else, you know, middle America, uh, you know, being from Indiana myself, uh, I really didn't know a lot about the federal government and, and how it impacted my life until I moved to D.C. Um, and start to engage and, and learn a little bit more. Uh, and so with that being said, you know, um, I, I, I think the sentiment is, is correct that, you know, the article was on point just saying, hey, you know, most of America doesn't really care uh, if there is a shutdown or, or they're not watching. Uh, and, you know, we're in that in that time and uh, in our lives and in, in, in this country where if it doesn't directly impact you, well, then, you know, you're really not going to be concerned with it. Uh, it's not going to yeah. it's not going to give you sleepless nights. <laughs> exactly. But that's yeah. that's concerning, though. I mean, I, I get it. And I think you're both right. The, we're, we're living in and I mean. There's been a lot of selfishness for many years. That's not that's nothing new, but it's it's really it, it's gone from selfishness to just at this point just antipathy, right? Just people just not caring at all about others. I think what a lot of folks who don't live in D.C., Maryland, Virginia don't don't realize one is that not all federal workers live in and around the Beltway. That's the first thing, and two, even those who do are not all. Um, middle to upper level, you know, suit wearing, air conditioned office working, you know, um, you know, bureaucrats and functionaries. There are people who work in really difficult jobs, who work in, you know, border patrol and prison systems and a whole bunch of other things that are federal, right, that are that are government employment, and they have families to take care of. And in a lot of cases, if they're essential, it depends on how a shutdown happens. There's been a few different ones, but um, there are folks who get called into work being told, like, hey, at some point this will be over, and then we can pay you. But for right now, you have to show up, but we don't know when you're going to get paid. I mean, I can't imagine people love in this country to really bash the public sector, especially ever since since Reagan the past several decades. But... Like I can't imagine anybody in the private sector being like, "Oh yeah, sure, I'm just going to go to work and we'll we'll sort out the whole getting paid thing later." Like that's just not a thing. <laughs> Furlough. That's yeah. not a thing. Furlough. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, so that, that, that's an interesting point, and, and at risk of expanding this conversation right off the bat too quickly, uh, I, you know, I think that the the large part of this issue is, like you said, you pointed back to this this demonization of government, right? That's been going on for the last fifty years. And that's, I think that's problematic in and of itself. It's like we've begun to disconnect ourselves as citizens from the government, which is exactly yeah. the opposite of what it's supposed to be, right? We are the government, right? And I find myself reminding people when they say, oh, they're all the same or they're not going to do nothing. It's not, it's not them. It's us, right? Us, we control right. who's in there making decisions for us. And if you're not going to advocate for the person you want or if you're not going to vote, then then what are you doing? Like, what do you really right. care? You, know, it, you right. clearly care because you have enough uh, concern to say something negative about it. So you got to be a part of it if you're going to do that. Uh, so I think I think that's what's troubling to me is that we we've begun to separate ourselves uh, from what's going on in the Beltway when it's it, it's all about us. It's all about who we allow to be in office, who we vote for. And, you know, it's not they; yeah. it's us. You know. Yeah. Trey, what do you think about that? I think that's that's true. No, I agree. Um, you can't be uh, disengaged up until the point where you are engaged. Um, you know, there's a process to this. There's, you know, um, being informed. Uh, and this was, you know, a point that I, had, I was thinking about earlier is, you know, kind of starts with education, uh, education about the political process, um, education to the point where you can um, form your own thoughts and opinions. 
and not just go with the crowd or the blurb or or that little that little tidbit that's being put out there uh, by the media. No, you have to be able to formulate your own thoughts and opinions so that you can make better decisions about who uh, you want to govern you and what you want them to govern and how you want them to. Um, and so, without that, you know, basic understanding <clears throat> of the political process and that that level of engagement, um, and it doesn't have to be a high level, just enough to where you know you can filter through the BS and uh, you know make sure that you're being able to hold people accountable uh, as well. These are our elected officials, and you know they're put in this position of power and influence, uh, this this position of decision making, and um, they can't do that haphazardly, you know, without um, some true accountability. So yeah, uh, but I think I, about I mean, your point about education, though, terrain like. There are now members of Congress who, and like you said, Aline, these are people who are chosen by the people they represent. They, they're they not, you know, from on high. They come from the districts from which they were elected from the populace that elected them into office, right? Who will, especially in the House now, who will stand up and make speeches and you're like, oh my God, you couldn't pass like a sixth grade middle school civics class. Like that's not even in a, from a, an ideological or partisan standpoint, like that's just not how things work. And they, they, it's all about the bombast and it's all about getting that shareable Instagram reel that can be cut and turned into a political fundraising or, you know, a, a campaign ad. I mean, what about that the fact that it's not even just the people who are disengaged, the people who are the most engaged in positions of power who are just checked out. They're not part of the process. They're just there to get clicks and then run off to their favorite cable news show yes. and yes. go and they're chasing celebrity instead of actually governing. There well, you go. Um... If you leave me feel mine. Uh, so, wow, Christian, you're just you, you, all these things that, you know, I've been, kind of been thinking about since uh, you started the, the podcast and everything. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that I have been thinking about, especially with politicians, is, you know, motivation. Mm -hmm. What was your motivation to get here? And because that has yeah. to do with a lot of what we achieve in life. And so you just, you know, you're saying, oh, you're chasing celebrity, you're chasing money, you're chasing uh, power. And this is, you know, these are the reasons that people uh, tend to elevate themselves in their professions or in their lives, uh, there's some type of motivation, there's something that they're grasping for. What I'm struggling with is, you know, with today's politicians and those leaders, um, what I'm struggling with is that there's a, there seems to be a, an absence or um, a, a very limited number of those truly charismatic, passionate leaders that we've enjoyed before, those that are willing to, that, that actually connect and care about the people. Um, that are out there, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and uh, just starting from the ground up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we get elected, you know, get elected officials and they they jump straight to the top. And there's no there's no longer a connection between them and the people that they're governing or or making decisions for. And and so I've, I've, I've really been struggling with that, that that concept and or that thought that, you know, where are our passionate, our truly passionate and motivated leaders at? Um, has that generation gone? Um, you know, how do we fill that void? Um, well, well, you know, I think in, in, in this, this is probably a theme that I'll probably come back to anytime I wind up speaking about anything political is that it really starts with children, right? It starts with the school, it starts with education, right? And I think what you're seeing is the chickens coming home roost uh, over the last 20 years of us reducing the importance of civics, right? And understanding of government, understanding of our role in government. And you, you know, you had what happened in 2000 
that really put a bad taste in, in our generation's mouth, right? And as as, mm -hmm. as as new voters, right? As people about to vote, right? Getting ready to vote. Oh, well, my vote doesn't matter. I can't, just thinking back to when I was a teenager, hearing that so many times, your vote really doesn't matter, or my vote doesn't count, or hearing relatives say, oh, you know, you know, don't voting is, is, is a waste of time. And here's what here's what happened, right? Now you've got a generation of people who are now in a position to hold power, don't even understand what power means and don't even understand how it's wielded, right? You have, yeah. you know, you have uh, uh, people in Congress who get in Congress, to your point, Christian, get in there not even understanding what their job is, right? And then then, right. then having an imagination about, oh, well, this is what government does. Uh, the president is king. I'm here to support the president. Like, this is what people, they, they, that's how they behave it, right? With Donald Trump, yeah. it was like, oh, you know, he, he, he'll he solve all our problems, you know, because he believes what we believe, not understanding that he's just the executive, right? You're actually writing the laws. Right. So, so <laughs> yes. it, it's yes. crazy, isn't it? And yeah. so, so we get to that point. You got all these people, you know, now populating our political sphere and conversation, not really understanding the principles upon which our government is founded. You know, it's so funny you say that because I, I can't, it's been a couple of years now. It's not related to this almost shut down, right? This was a few years ago, last administration. And I can't, uh, forgive me, but I can't think of the, the congressman's name, but he was being interviewed about one of the things the last guy in office did that was crazy. And forgive me, I cannot keep all those things straight in my head, all the crazy things that we witnessed. There's a lot of crazy things. <laughs> There's a lot of things. But he said something to Chuck Todd on NBC to the effect of, well, he's the president, I work for him. And there was like this record scratch moment. Everything stopped dead air for a full second. Like, what? And he's like, well, no, don't you work for the people of the district that elected you that you represent? That's like, one of these. Well, I mean, that too. <laughs> it's like, no. Uh, no, that too. That first. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, no, I, re yeah, regardless of party affiliation or who was in the administration, like, no, you you represent the people in your district, at least allegedly. Man, it, it, it's, it's frightening, though, when you see, when you see the, the amount of ignorance. And that's what it is. You call it like we see it, it is ignorance in government. And what 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 people what happens is that these Congress people and, and senators even come into office with these imaginary conceptions of what their job is, and then when they start to learn actually how it works, they try to fit the truth into their imagination. So it's not like the, it doesn't happen in reverse, right? There, there's a, a fundamental lack of humility. That's what I mentioned before, uh, you know. And we talked a little bit about humility in church today, so it's it's, it's kind of timely. But is the fundamental it's, lack of it's humility, for in the forefront right now? What's <laughs> that? It's in the forefront of your mind right exactly. now. It's like top of That's mind. Yeah. It's like, you know, people coming in saying, no, what I believe is still right. It's still right. So mm -hmm. I'm going to make whatever's happening, whatever I really see happening now that I'm here, I'm going to make it fit, right? You know, oh, you know, there, there, there's alien bodies in some place in this. I believe that when I got in office, I'm going to find them. You know, it's like, no, <laughs> they're telling you they don't have those bodies, guys. All right. So it's like, it, 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 I take it to the extreme, right? But that's the reality is that Somebody believes that despite all of the truths that they see, they're going to fit it into their imagination of what they, the, the office they were coming into. Yeah, yeah. But what about, and, and Terrain, I want to pass this to you since we went to, to law school together, which uh, for all the, the young people out there considering an exciting career of putting their, their head in the book for the rest of their lives, um, it's, it's not always fun. And <laughs> it, 
Really? Typically speaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. It's not always fun. Um, but historically, and it's it's still true, uh, an inordinate number of lawmakers started off as lawyers themselves before coming into office. Uh, there's a lot of thoughts around that. Some people think that that's a, a bad thing. I think there's there's room for discussion there but at the end of the day you're doing you what you're doing in large part is passing legislation right you're writing laws and so it kind of stands to reason that people who grew up studying that end up going into this line of work so there's that but all that that preface is to say that a lot of this work is not glamorous but they're making no. it glamorous through tiktok and instagram and cable news and turning every you know, floor speech or press hit into this campaign ad into um, this viral social media moment. And it's like, yeah, typically, like, if something is big is going on, there's a big moment in history. We were attacked on 9-11 or going back to the civil rights. There were moments where a legislator would get up and give an impassioned speech about an important issue but that's like the tip of the iceberg. The other ninety-nine percent of the work is supposed to be like negotiating, bargaining, and writing legislation. I mean, what about the doing the plain old boring work that needs to get done to have things function? Yeah. No, I, I think um, you know a lot of that. It, it just continues to be lost. Um, and so, in terms of you know transitioning from uh, from a legal practice or profession or just getting a JD to begin with uh, and learning those skills of analysis and research and all the things that, you know, help us win the day, mm-hmm. um, you know, hoping that those things do transfer, um, you know, successfully to a political, um, you know, career as well. Um, but I, I think, you know, we're starting to lose a lot of, you know, what got us there. Um, a lot of the skills, you know, somebody else is doing the work for you at some point, you know, once you become the politician, then you have other people feeding you information. Uh, you have other people that are doing the reading for you. There, you might have people doing the writing for you, and you're not you're not in fully invested uh, and committing the time to make sure that it's getting done right uh, versus just getting done. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where you know we're losing a lot of um, a lot of the the points that we can win. A lot of the things that we could advance is, you know, we're only dissecting and, and analyzing little nuggets of information and, and things are getting buried in, in legislation um, and we're only touching the sexy things. That's what that's 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 all we're that's all we're uh, regulating. Moments, right. It's chasing the mm-hmm. viral moments. Yep, yep. And so those those things that are more impactful to people on a daily basis, um, you know, those those aren't being touched. Those aren't being discussed. Uh, it's it's whatever I can get clicks on. It's whatever I can, you know, I can puff up my chest and say, well, I, this is what I did uh, versus what's most impactful uh, to the people yeah. that you're governing. So and, and this happens on, on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, is, you know, looking for the viral moment, like both of you guys were saying, is that everybody wants to give the speech, the impassioned speech in front of the cameras that they can post and put clips of, uh, put clips up of so much to the point that that's lost its value, right? So everybody's doing it all the time. So it's like, okay, that one moment where someone would get in front of a Congress, uh, a Congress person would get in front of Congress and give an impassioned speech, something you know, fiery to get everyone motivated. It's like, okay, half people aren't paying attention, probably more than half. Ninety percent of the Congress isn't paying attention, and probably ninety-nine percent of the public is not paying attention. So it's like, okay, 
it's it's lost it's it's lost its thunder. So I think to your to to both your points, uh, you know, all that work that's being done by the staffers behind the scenes of actually ferreting out the 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 the, the true uh, uh, policy statements and policy uh, 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 verbiage that needs to go into the law, you know, that's being done half-heartedly in many cases at, the, at this point, right? And and it's just it's a jumble. I, I've had the uh, the opportunity to contribute to to several things that have gone to to Congress for debate and, and conversation. You know, I you know, and and what happens is is that it goes to staffers. Staffers have like three questions they want to ask that don't necessarily get to the the point of the most important parts of it. And again, this is both sides of the aisle. It's just people are so shallow on all of this, right? There's not really people who know deep information about this stuff. They just want to know the high points that are most provocative that they can sell whatever it is that they're trying to sell to the American public. So um, so you, you'll have a discussion and say, OK, well, here's what matters. And they're like, oh, we don't really want to know about that. We want to know this, you know, you know, this, this, uh, how many jobs? And, and, and it's like, well, we can't say exactly how many jobs. We got to get the actual project defined first, you know, you know, um, one other one other point I wanted to bring up. And, and this sort of goes back to the, the, the initial part of this conversation was that, you know, this whole shutdown and, and appropriations in, its, in and of itself. People talk about how much government spending, right? And this is this is a, a pet peeve of mine. So let me know if I'm too high on a soapbox. But the, <laughs> no, the reality go go for it. <laughs> what, what has bothered me for many years, especially having been in the federal government for a little while now, is that you know I started thinking like, man, government spending—it's not like you're throwing money down the, the drain. The money is going to the American public. So it, it's it's interesting. People don't think about this. It's like. If I put a billion dollars into the government, that's a billion dollars into the country, unless I'm buying goods and services from some other country, which is, first of all, there's laws against that now. And, and that really has never been typically the case, right? We have foreign spending. We have a, about, what, $100 billion of foreign spending or something like that, maybe $200 billion, I don't know. But then the, the trillion dollars is all going into paying employees of the government, paying contracts who, who, who support government work, who projects who... All of that money is going back into the economy. So it's so right. government spending isn't a loss to our economy. It's a boom to our economy. So and that's that's the important thing. And this is always and I'm so glad you brought this up because this has been a pet peeve of mine for years, too, where people confuse accounting or financial management with macroeconomics and they're not the same thing. Exactly. When you talk about your business or your family spending, that's money going out the door. Right. That you have to account for government spending yes you have to account for it and budget and all of that and make sure that it balances out but when you're saying that it's an investment in and i know that administrations love to say they're investing in infrastructure investing in that actually is not just political double speak that actually is true it's absolutely you can you can you can have the congressional budget office actually map out with analysts showing how if you put this amount of money into this thing what the downstream effect will be in terms of jobs in all these different economic sectors because of that investment. And yes, it costs money, but like like you said, these are things that we enjoy every day. It's being able to uh, breathe clean air while we still have industry that otherwise would be polluting. Still does, but nothing like it did up until the 70s, right, with the EPA. Um, driving on roads that, at least the federal ones, <laughs> the interstates that are in decent condition, maybe not your local roads, depending on what state you live in. Um, how about the uh, enjoying pretty much every day in peace with a few very unfortunate exceptions where 
we're not just being attacked left and right. I think people <laughs> forget living in the luxury of, of living turn, inside the United saying. States. <laughs> that for most of human history, if you went down the road with your stuff on your back or in your carriage, somebody bigger than you could just come up and take it. And or, in the case of even present day for much of humanity, the neighboring country might say, we like your stuff, we're just going to come and take it. <laughs> and it's it's impossible to prove a negative to someone, but it's like, no, when you pay your taxes in this country, like, you get safety out of it, you get roads out of it, you, there's a lot of, and don't get me wrong, there is waste and there are things that we can do better. I am, Absolutely. we can talk about that all day. Yeah. Yes. But this idea that just because it's the, uh, excuse me, the public sector, that it's a waste is just anti-government propaganda. It is totally bunk. Sure. Yeah, I think people not really appreciating or acknowledging the benefits that they do get. Um, you know, if, oh, I, well, I don't get like food assistance or housing assistance or, uh, but you still utilize the infrastructure you still utilize right. roads, you still electricity, you know, power grid, all these other things, uh, you know, protection as well. Like you said, police officers, federal yeah. prison system, you know, the, the deterrent of our uh, military as well. Like all of those things mm -hmm. are benefits that we get from, you know, paying our taxes mm -hmm. and by being citizens of the United States. And so, you know, Right. I, I think the, the conversation should not be so much about overspending. It should just be more about, you know, where is the waste at? Absolutely. Right. If there's a way to cut back the waste, not necessarily the spending, uh, but cut back the waste and be more effective or efficient in what we're doing, then I, I think the spending would drop. So, so, uh, so, but, so here's the thing, Terrain, is, and, and I, I, I like, I, I, I tend to shy away from the word waste because I feel like it's used and it's such, it has such a negative connotation is that people start to think, oh, well, that money's being wasted. What's happening is that there are inefficiencies, right? Inefficiencies. Mm -hmm. And even in the inefficiencies, it's, it's not like the money's, again, going out of our economy. It's still in our economy. Now, the problem is, is that, for example, some contracting organizations who get big contracts with the federal government, they'll be paying... They're executives, millions and millions of dollars, because there's no restriction on that, right? Federal employee can only get a certain amount of money. But those contractors, they can pay their 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 uh their executives and the vice presidents of a project millions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of dollars, bonuses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is an inefficiency because now that money's gonna take longer to get back into the economy. When one person has a million dollar check versus ten million, right. ten people having a hundred thousand dollar checks, that money takes longer to get back yeah, exactly. into the economy. That's exactly. what people are thinking of. That's the inefficiency. Now, again, they're still an American, they're still invested here, they're still working, they're still buying houses, they're still buying food, they're still buying goods and services, all that. So it's still in the economy, it's just slower and less efficient less efficient in getting back. And they might spend that money elsewhere. They might go on a big vacation, right, where they spend ten, twenty thousand dollars that doesn't go into this economy. So that's that's the type of thing that I think people people need to also consider. And and it's we, we all we often talk about roads and bridges and and, and security, but the, some of the some of the even bigger effects than that that people don't immediately see because they're so ingrained in our in our society. Just look at it. For example, there's entire communities in Montana, in Idaho, in Utah that wouldn't even exist if it weren't for federal spending, right? There, oh there, yeah. Like, there's projects. Oh, absolutely. Like the 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 Lockheed um, uh, F thirty three project. You know the, the the fighter jet. You know how many billions of dollars went into that. And it all went into the development of that plane by a community, right? Mm -hmm. By a community of engineers, by a community of engineers, students, people, children who go into school who are becoming engineers themselves on the funding of that project. I'll give you one project that I have a little bit of a connection to, and I don't want to go into too many details of that. 
there's a there's a project out in in Hanford in in uh, the state of Washington um, where they're building a waste treatment facility. Well, that project's been going on for over 25 years, right? Billions of dollars have been spent in it, and there's an entire community in that region that benefits from that. That again, it's a vibrant community. It, what the, the uh, great schools there? There's there's kids who come out of there very well educated. Uh, I mean, it's it's got good diversity. It's all, it's a great thing, all because of projects like that one. Now, the project probably has been over budget. You know, it's it's, it's taken longer than it was supposed to, et cetera, et cetera, which is which happens. You know, but the reality is, look at what's benefited from that. Even despite the project not working out perfectly, look at how it's benefited, right? So once she, even, once she even, so, down, I, I guess my point is, even failed projects still benefit our country. Because the mm -hmm. money's being spent in the country, but everybody looks at it. Oh, look at that waste! You know how long it's taken, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Which is all fair inefficiencies. They're all fair points. We can do more. What's to say we couldn't have built additional projects in the same amount of time? Sure, it's good criticism. But the reality is, is that it's not waste. You know, yeah. So that's just my my thoughts. I was going to just piggyback off of that and just say, uh, you know, what happens when you choose to shut down those projects? or they come to a conclusion. Now you have people that are out of work. Uh, you have what was supporting, and this happened to my hometown. Mm. Uh, so I'm again from Indiana, I'm from a General Motors town. Mm. And um, the I wanna say at one point, uh, like 60% of, of the working adults worked in the plants. Uh, the plants closed down. That My, my hometown is completely depressed now. Um, I mean, it has, right now it has a university um, you know, the number of schools uh, have dropped, so they've had to close schools. Um, they've, um, you know, the restaurant industry is is booming. Uh, they tried to put in a casino to kind of revamp the the city and everything. But you, the the working class people that were there, the, this the infrastructure is just not there anymore. That 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 whole facility has been leveled. Um, and and my I had family members for you know a couple of generations that worked there, and we're seeing you know great salaries but then you take that away from uh this is uh, this is on the private side uh, you know yeah. uh, but the the analogy uh, is, is pretty much the same if you do that with a government project uh you know shut down a water facility you know shut down um a power plant or something that that is keeping people employed then right. the effects of that is now you have um you know a ghost town uh mm -hmm. or and you have people that are you know having to migrate someplace else uh, to find work and to find education and, and those types of things and to raise their families that they started when that, that project ensued. So, uh, yeah. Th but I'm glad you bring up the private sector example, though, because I, I think there is now, finally, like decades overdue, there is some justifiable and palpable frustration among the population about um, <clears throat> private sector waste and, and outsourcing and taking jobs away. Um, that that anger is, I think, being in in some cases misdirected, but in some cases now we're finally seeing no, it's actually properly being directed. But why is it? Yeah, what I was when, what I was going um, yeah, yeah. to say to that point, Christian, yeah. is that um, you know I think part of the 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 energy and and the anger that that kind of stems is that we saw what our parents and our grandparents enjoyed in those situations. We saw the jobs that they were able to have. We saw the salaries that they were able to command and you fast forward to now our opportunity uh, to stand in those positions and it's not existent, you know, right. where, where, you know, 
people in my family were working on the assembly line and making $28, $30 an hour or $35 an hour, depending on the job that they were doing. Uh, you know, some of them that, you know, became engineers uh, were commanding, you know, six figure salaries working in these in these on in GM and in, in the car industry. Now, those same assembly line jobs, I mean, you could maybe 15, maybe 20 bucks an hour uh, to do the same type of labor. Um, and so now our buying power is so much less. Mm. Uh, you know, we can't go out and enjoy, you know, buying a home. We can't have, you know, the nice cars, you know, we can't fund our own education as well. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's just, it trickles down to, to everything. And, and I think a lot of the, the frustration that we see is I saw my parents do it. I saw my grandparents do it or, or somebody before us. I, the fact that I don't have it now that angers me and I don't know how to reconcile that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think the, the argument that can be made is that uh, the federal government, through its investments in in, in research and development and, and just in general, whether it be healthcare, it drives, it, it's the engine that sort of gets things churning. It, it puts investment where uh, their investment might not have gone otherwise gone, right? So, so when you have when you have development of new drugs and, and vaccines and healthcare, you know, new technologies to develop vaccines that might not have happened had not the federal government provided funding to do it to doing all those things. So, you know, I think we forget about that. You know, the, from from you know, you know the uh, the moonshot, for example. Now, the, you know, people have to understand that that had its roots in more than just uh, the friendly uh, outreach to space, but. <laughs> We'll talk about the nuclear program some other day, but the reality is that the development of uh, and, and of the technologies needed to get to the moon were tremendous, you know, and and it, that spurred our economy in ways that we're we're still understanding to this day, um, you know, um, you know what what people are are not are not realizing is that those contributions are what get us going, right? Those contributions from the government from our tax dollars. Or what get us going? Because if you if you leave it purely up to the private sector, the private sector, as it's designed to do, is going to do things that benefits the bottom line of their business. Yep, make money. And and the, the the pure capitalist would say, well, that's how it's supposed to be. Well, not exactly, because that system in unchecked will devour itself. You know, it, we, the bottom line is that the the more the more that you intend to, the more that you have a goal of increasing your profit. And 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 uh, increase, increasing your profit margins, you know, the more you're going to, you know, limit the ability to expand what you're doing into new sectors and new spaces. And so, you know, you need something to check that that growth and to, and to redirect where where funding is going to help explore and expand things. You know, like the entire initial idea of the internet was not going to be profitable for like thirty years, right? When you talk, look at like when the, the first email was sent across computer servers in the university systems in California in the 70s, nobody had email in their, their homes for another 25 years, mm -hmm. right? And the, the, the libertarian, which I, they're, they're fun to talk to over cocktails because it is just this internal logic that has absolutely no awareness of how the world around it operates right that is a, that, um, said that in a way clearer than i've ever been able to say that before that's very true <laughs> it's it's it is it is such a an internally logical microcosm that is unaware of itself and how everything else around it allows it to operate that's how people in that 
that mindset um that it's just it's it's um such intelligent obliviousness (laughs) (laughs) um i'll coin that (laughs) right but but the thing is is that now i mean how much has the united states economy grown since the late 1990s and the dot-com boom i mean we went from what a dozen trillion dollars a year to 25 i mean it's massive (laughs) like other entire countries multiple times over like that much growth in gross domestic product right yeah but what they would what a libertarian or a hardcore pure theoretical capitalist would say is well private sector would do it and do it more efficiently well no they wouldn't because they could not guarantee a return on investment later that year right so much later risk. that quarter yeah. they couldn't do it right and so yeah. it, it had to start off as this very long-term theoretical research project between universities and military through DARPAnet, through, you know, defense advanced research projects. Um, and now we all can grow private sector companies and piggyback off of all the technologies that came out of that initial investment. But the only institution that could outlay that kind of money and have that sort of foresight uh, to look not just to next quarter or even next year but to the next decade and the next generation mm-hmm. is the u.s federal government exactly i mean look at look at look at tesla and, and i i you know i have my 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 uh emotions about uh the, that whole business and, and everything uh due to its yeah. uh its ceo but the reality is is that look at what what where they came from like people credit the, the the CEO of that company with with so, such in, insight and 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 uh, excuse me vision and all that he, he didn't do anything new all he did was take money and in, from the yeah. federal government from us and invest yeah. it into developing his company and yeah. it's like people don't understand that there would be no Tesla without your dollars your tax dollars mm-hmm. right and it's sure. like so if if we didn't if our taxes were were so low that we didn't pay them that we didn't have the money. That 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 the one side of the aisle was fighting, you know, violently against giving the companies like Tesla. That company wouldn't exist, and the development of the electric car industry would not have gotten to where it is today, right? Um, right. You know, and and so it's, so it's not that there was so much innovation. Even SpaceX, right? There would be no SpaceX without our tax dollars, right? So so yeah. instead of crediting just individuals, and and we again we talk a little bit about my my feelings on. Heaping praise on individual heroes. Right. This is the sickest uh, uh, example of that. The, uh, I'm far less concerned about it in sports. I'm more concerned about it in business because that's the problem: is that the businessmen are not the heroes, right? The 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 right. work that they do is great when they're doing it wholesomely and they're doing it to support our economy and to further our growth as humanity and all that. But the reality is that the money comes from us, right? The money comes from our tax dollars. Nobody's going in their pocket with. A hundred billion dollars to to develop a new rocket that can do uh, 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 launches uh, to the to out out back and forth to space. So so you know one 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 thing that came up, Terrain, when you were talking about your your experience in the in the auto industry and, and your your family in, in that region, it, it it just started to make me think about how private sector and how um, how it can it can steer in the wrong direction, right? Because the plight, if you will, and, and in you know, in fairness, they're not gone. But Ford and General Motors and, and Chrysler, what was their biggest failing? Is that they were happy with how much money they were making, so they didn't do, need to do anything different, right? Yeah. We're we're fine, we're good. You know, we don't need to develop any new special technologies for cars and paint and rust and 
while other automakers like your Toyotas is like, hey, we need to make these things last a little longer, right? And so it's like, okay, so then people start to see, wait a second, you know, my General Motors car isn't lasting as long as that Toyota car. So maybe I should think about them. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. We still got good car. It's like, so it's, so it's like when the private sector has their full control, it's like they're not going to make the right decisions. Not all the time, right? They're going to make the right decisions for what, when they're making money right then and there, right? Not also, don't forget, too, don't forget, too, that when Japan started making, started competing directly with the United States through free trade, not just in automobiles, but also home electronics, televisions, and so forth, the private sector's response in this country was not to compete. It was to seek government protectionism. <laughs> Lee Iacocca went to don't Congress and begged for money. Yeah, no, but seriously, begged for money to basically not not literally close the borders, but like literally you start to, to um, stymie the free trade and give basically free taxpayer dollars to Detroit to make them more competitive, even though they did not want to innovate. Yep. Yeah. The other, the other response, uh, of course, was the outsourcing of work, moving factories to other countries because you can pay lower wages. Um, and I, I think that was, that was really the, the, the main conversation uh, when I was seeing people go through it was, okay, now our jobs are, you know, going either overseas or to neighboring countries uh, to their factories because now they're they're better developed mm. and they can support uh, that that type of uh, manufacturing. And so now we're going to send the jobs there. I had one uh, mentor that um, he, he was he was a little bit higher up in the auto industry, um, but he would he would travel uh, down to Mexico like every other week to go do his job um, because he, they were either they were either gonna, they said you can you can travel or you can lose your job. Which one are you going to do? He said, okay, I'm going to travel. Uh, but everyone underneath him lost their jobs because they, they didn't have the same benefit. They were just, they, they were just cogs in a wheel uh, that can be replaced. And so, yeah, it, it was, you know, very um, damaging to see people go through that. Man. And I guess part of the reason that I didn't get into the auto industry, uh, because that was, that was the, that was the pipeline. You come right out of high school and go right into the factory sure. uh, in my hometown. And, um, and then they, you know, that's um, kind of circling back. That's to where uh, education came in because, oh, now to go do that same job, you need to have at least a two-year degree. Sure. And then it became, oh, you need to have a four-year degree. Oh, <laughs> and by the way, we used to pay for you to get your degree um, when you came into the, the auto industry. If you had the, I guess, the um, kind of core skills like math and science and everything, they would pay for people to, to get their education. Well, that stopped as well. So, um, you know, it's it just, it's a cascade of, of, of vits. And I, I think that, you know, where we ended up at, um, looking at the auto industry now, looking at the private sector and, and how they're motivated. Uh, it's all about that bottom line. It's how do we keep our profits where they're at or get them higher? Um, and, you know, I think it, it just it makes for bad business um, because it 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 discounts um, the people. Um, you know, it, it minimizes the impact that they have, and uh, it, it, you can't put money over people. Absolutely, yeah. And 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 in a, in in our society, the the ability of the consumer to purchase the goods and services that the that are being produced and manufactured needs to be preserved, right? Or or, or you're not going. So so the, the more you push the wealth to the extremities, so to speak, is that it's you're not going to they're not going to be able to buy the goods and services you're producing. So then they're going to. That's what I meant earlier when I said it will devour itself because it's going to be unsustainable at some point. You know, so and that's where the federal government comes in. Right. It's like, all right, right. well, 
you guys are, are, are doing this wrong. You got to move money over here a little bit. And that's that's what it, that's that's really the role it plays. You know, I, I've spent, also I like the benefit of spending a lot of time in the Pittsburgh area and, and even um, my wife from Buffalo, New York. And it's similar to Indiana. You know, they were fed by the auto industry. Right. Or they, they fed the auto industry, I should say. So when the collapse uh, or the decline of the auto industry or outsourcing of jobs uh, and, and steel manufacturing or and production to other countries hit those regions extraordinarily hard. There's many books written on that on that topic. But it's it's really just fascinating to see. You know how how the lack of foresight uh, can change can can affect these communities in such a drastic way. I mean, I, I mean, from from poverty to then crime and and all these all the decline is just it's directly tied back to the inappropriate application of capitalism, right? You know, I, I'm not I'm not demonizing capitalism in its entirety. I'm simply saying we had a good formula in this country for how it should work, right? It needs to be checked. By social programs, by strong government, and all that, and then when you start to tear that down over the last fifty years, you get what you've got, you know, and that's right. that, that's the challenge. You know, the outsourcing of jobs. You know, you know. I, let me run something by you guys. This is this is. A, I think it's a good platform. I, I had an idea come to my mind about fifteen or twenty years ago. I'm like, how do you stop the outsourcing of jobs? Because it's really cheap labor that these industries are looking for. Right? People who are paying their countries who are paying their their employees very very low wages and and so forth, and they can get get by with that because the laws don't prohibit that, right? In, in places like China, for example. But what if we say, what if what if there's the, the, uh, a government agency, uh, the Department of Labor, for example, that that has requirements on how employees have to be treated in this country? What if we apply those to the countries that uh, or, or that companies are outsourcing to? We say, hey, we cannot buy goods and services in this country from an, from a company that does not pay their employees at least this percentage of uh, the GDP or or and, and does not protect their 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 employees with this uh, up to this level of OSHA standards, for example, or or does not. Limit. We can't buy from you if you don't meet these meet these requirements. And then you have inspections with some periodicity uh, of manufacturers in those countries that 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 uh, ensure that. Right. To me, that seemed like that would bring. Well, of course, that's going to bring the cost of labor up in those countries. It'll, it, it will improve their quality of life a little bit to some extent. It will make it more competitive, make us more competitive with them. So then the decision is not going to be obvious, just, oh, well, let's outsource that. But it'd be fair, right? It'd be like, okay, well, you know, uh, you know we're, we're, we're paying, we're, the American workers got to get paid $30 an hour. Okay, they can do it for, for $15, $20 an hour, but they also, we have to have to have it shipped in here. So there's a balance there. Also, uh, the American uh, workers getting paid 30 dollars now, they prove they've got a quality level that's up there. And so then it's a balance, right? Then it's actually a conversation as opposed to just saying, hey, we're paying them $5 an hour. You guys want $35 an hour. Not going to happen. You know, we're going over there. You know, yeah. that to me, that sort of fits into, it balances things. And this is, again, this is me not being an economist, not being a labor expert. It's just, I'm thinking like, okay, if you want to be fair and you like competition, well, here's a way to make it competitively fair, right? Just a thought. I don't yeah. know. You guys I mean, know, so, know the law is a lot better than me, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's a few different things. So, so basically, there's been really ever since Clinton or before that, but especially since Clinton with NAFTA, this push towards free trade for everybody, right? And it, there, 
there was a time up until the late 90s where you didn't just give out free trade agreements with every nation in the world, but you said, like, no, we're not going to even have that agreement in place so those jobs can move across these borders or across this ocean because we can't trust that you're dealing fairly, that you're doing X, Y, and Z that we require you to do in order to trade freely. So th that's part of it, right, is that we, we now have this uh what had been it's changing now it's going back a little bit but there had been a bipartisan consensus for decades now of well let's just have free trade is good for everyone let's just open everything up who cares it's a free-for-all and of course we see what happens right like it's it's entire towns in the midwest and south and elsewhere that are gutted uh jobs going back to old style horrible sweatshops in in other countries all of that sort of thing, right? And then the sort of the the bomb for that, if you will, was there's supposed to be sort of an offset program that actually we need we need our buddy John here to talk about because this was his area of work for a little while back when we were in school, where you would you would have basically an offset for people who were um, affected by the the outsourcing of their jobs. But the other thing too, just to be completely blunt about it, is enforcement, like. It, it, the enforcement thing is so difficult that I I know of, of people in labor who they know that the state and federal governments of both state enforcement and Department of Labor are so short-staffed that they send their own people, like from a labor union, out to companies and job sites to see things like unpaid wages, to see things like just outright wage theft. Uh, because there are, especially in construction, you'll have things like that, right? Construction's one of the rare jobs you can't outsource it's physically where you're at. But you do have things like corporations coming in, making shell corporations, having a project, and then leaving, closing the LLC and not paying the, the, the construction workers, right? So a lot of the times, the way you find out that there is some egregious thing that happens, right? Like an entire shop leaving town and not paying people their wages or or violating um, safety requirements, things like that, is that a, an outside, a third party, like a group of workers, like a labor union, not like, literally a labor union, has to go and record all this stuff, and then they make a file as if they were the government investigators, and then give it to the government and say, hey, did your homework for you? Can you please go ahead and, you know... <laughs> Pursue this. So imagine trying to do that when the place you're talking about being out of compliance with whatever the agreement is. Let's let's call it in in your hypothetical a fair trade agreement as opposed to a free trade agreement. Who's going to enforce that and on whose dime? Hmm. Then I think to take it to another level uh, from Christian is uh, we have to think about you know whose palms are being greased hmm. as well. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's money uh, to why there's not regulation and legislation to these things already. So as long as the people that that are empowered to regulate and legislate and then ultimately enforce, as long as they are being satisfied with the kickbacks that they're getting, then we're not we're not going to see this evolution of uh, from, I guess, free trade to fair trade um, and, and bringing other countries up to standard to uh, make the, the job market a lot more competitive, uh, you know, universally. Sure, sure. You know, you know, I feel like, you know, one thing I've always felt is that our country is is too large not to have uh, a manufacturing sector that's very, very vibrant. Like there's just too many people that, for us all to be, you know, uh, scientists or in an office. Right. You know, we yeah. can't all be in the financial sector. for example. So right. you're going to have to have, you know, communities that are 
are doing a lot of uh, that, that that require a lot of hands in order to employ 350 million people. Right? That's we're, what, what are we the fifth or sixth largest country in the world now at this point? I don't I don't I, I mean in, in population. So yeah, so, well yeah, financially we're economically we're obviously we're, it's it's yeah. basically one quarter of the global economy is the United <laughs> States. In terms of population, I believe we're third after. Third. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, see, I, yeah, I, I thought Brazil was was up I there. Think. But 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 the reality is, so so my my fear or my concern is that we lose the ability. Eventually, we're going to lose the ability to demand from other countries that that we do business with certain standards. Like we're going to we're going to start losing that because people are going to say, okay, well, you know, we can't sell our goods and services to you, United States. We're going to find someone else to serve, to sell them to because there are. Economies that are growing, right? There's, you know, still China, of course, who's who is opening more and more uh, of their country up to buying things, right? Uh, so it's like, okay, well, we, there used to be a point, like I'd say, 20 years ago, you could have said hard and fast, listen, if you want to do business with the United States, here are our here are our demands, and we could we could impose those, right? And 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 they could have been wholesome, they could have been world changing, <laughs> they could have been, you know, country changing. But instead, yeah. they just serve business, right? They serve the, the, the needs of business profits. And that's that's the yeah. unfortunate thing is that we could have demanded, you know, uh, uh, you know, higher uh, standards for, for for for, you know, civil rights and and, 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 and human rights across the you know, all around the world just to do business with us. you got to you got to, you know, you got to treat women fairly, you know, like, oh, or we're not doing business with you. No war. We don't want war or anything. We're just, hey, you know, look, you want to sell us something? We got you. Got to show us that women aren't being persecuted. Sure. We'll talk to you later when you yeah, get we back. And we'll talk to you. And we go to somebody <laughs> else, right? Why? We used to do that. <laughs> it couldn't. Have, it wasn't that simple because everybody's thinking about the money, and it's like, oh, 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 oh we, we we want that oil. <laughs> we need that oil yeah. cheap now. Come on. Man. <laughs> but that's a. It's a missed opportunity. Now that opportunity is down a little bit. Now we don't have that same forceful that power that we did twenty years ago. You know? Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. And I mean, we used to, uh, especially before the financial crash in OA, we used to, you know, lecture China on human rights. And you notice that all that stopped, right? In the yeah, past, like, 15 yeah. years. Now it's like, whoever wants to give us money and products, we're like, okay, fine, we'll take it. We don't, we don't even, we used to, like, go around preaching and that has, that has stopped. No, I mean, you're right. That window is sort of at least mostly, at least mostly closed. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's a missed it's a missed opportunity for sure yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah but i mean and the thing too that i i see with to your point about uh at least having some manufacturing i mean let, let's be clear here about something really important i think manufacturing and jobs that require you using your mind and body it, it, one it the people who work in those sectors are not stupid, right? Let's let's get rid of that. That was a that was a really bad old trope that needs to to just die once and for all, right? Um, I have seen people who work in the trades who do things like AutoCAD or computer assisted <laughs> design work and things and, and levels of math and geometry that would have gotten me flunked out of school. So like, let's just dispose of that myth once and for all. But the other thing too is that. Uh, a lot of that is is vital, right? Just because it's it's a heavier industry manufacturing doesn't mean it's a dead or obsolete industry like coal. Mm. There, there's no need for coal anymore. Coal is one of the rare products that for every 
billion dollars it produces, it actually takes more money out of the economy in terms of premature deaths and injuries, and it's actually a net negative. But these other heavy industries like auto manufacturing, even things like manufacturing PPE, which we didn't have the capacity to do during the pandemic, these are vital. I would even say up to a certain point, these are national security concerns. We we cannot be an economy this big and diverse, and we cannot have on our way to half a billion people here and not have an ability to take care of our own material needs. We can't all just be pushing paper all day long. It's not it's not feasible. Yeah, I think that that, that manufacturing industry, I mean, that goes back to uh, the world wars. You know, mm-hmm. how did we get our weapons and, you know, aircraft and all those different things? If we don't have that industry in place here in America, then I think at some point, once that the the current assets age, then how do you go about replacing them? You don't have you don't have the people to do it. Right. Uh, you don't have the, you don't have the laborers. You don't have the scientists scientists engineers uh, to help build uh, and design. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, so once all of those things fall into disarray and and those assets age, then we'll we'll have another discussion. And maybe that'll be what pushes us back to start to reinvest in. Yeah. Uh, those manufacturing uh, facilities and industries. We'll just have to see. Sure. Yeah, and, and I mean, we also can't just have the only industry, the only manufacturing we do be of of defense, just be weapons. I mean, we still mm-hmm. have that in spades. And um, don't get me wrong, for all the horrible things that that war creates, the it, in the case of the United States' defense industry, it has provided a huge amount of economic growth by developing huge steps forward in innovation like the internet like um high definition screens and cameras like all these things that then enter the private sector and grow the economy right at work um that can't be the only thing I, again i go back to the ppe example it, it doesn't need to be tanks and guns to still be completely uh relevant to the issue of national security if there is another crisis another pandemic which is the more people hop on airplanes and move around the world, the more the planet gets hotter, the, the more those things are likely to happen, right? Um, we can't just sit here making TikToks and <laughs> making a YouTube shows. And I know we're on a podcast here. I get the irony of me <laughs> saying this, but we have to make real stuff that's going to actually help people. Absolutely. Entertainment takes over everything. Remember, uh, Christian, that's what I was talking about last time. It's the most important thing yeah. to us, being entertained. So. Yeah, no, it's true. It, it's will, true. People I... will view TikTok and Instagram before they vote. I promise you that. Well, that was that. That was the the horribly awkward, cringeworthy, um, uh, Hillary Clinton thing. Uh, what was that when she was running? Um, what, what did she say? Um, oh, you need to Pokemon Go to the polls. <laughs> Yeah, that's bad. That's that's. Don't that's... try to be funny right now. <laughs> well, I don't know how popular Pokemon Go was at that particular point, but knowing <laughs> political ads, it was probably yeah. about six months too late. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely. And the other thing too, I would like to see just to, whether it's the the private sector or or uh, federal policy or some sort of combination of the two is. To the extent that we do want to have manufacturing come back, and I know that this administration is is very interested in that and has taken some steps in that front, um, but but even not not just traditional manufacturing 
uh, businesses, but all sorts of, of new industry. What I would really love to see there be a concerted effort on, starting with the federal government, but in partnership with the private sector, is basing those new centers of operations for whatever it is, solar panel manufacturing, truck manufacturing, old school, new school, green new jobs, whatever, any of these jobs we're talking about, uh, in places that have been depressed because of NAFTA, because of free trade, because of jobs being outsourced. I mean, this whole thing that we went through in the past decade with Amazon's stupid, you know, second headquarters and all the metro areas that got into this race to the bottom, competing with each other to give tax giveaways to the, this guy who doesn't need it. And then meanwhile, where are they going to base it? Northern Virginia. Does Northern Virginia need any more money or traffic? The, the money, the money pit. <laughs> I mean, like, you know who could have used that was probably, I don't know, Indiana, yeah, right? There you go. The crossroads of America, shipping, <laughs> trucking, like... Come on. Uh, you got you got to be close to the power. That, <laughs> that's, that's that all was is. key, right? Yeah. Getting close to the the, the lobbying uh, sector. Yeah, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, but now um I mean, Terrain, I'd love to visit you and your family, but now that's even less of a reason for me to cross the river <laughs> just sit in traffic for 3 hours yeah. with Amazon trucks and workers. I know, I know. I think we inadvertently migrated into another in one of your other topics, Christian, isn't that something? We, we talked about did, did labor we do that? and and the strike yeah. and, and other strikes. We... I mean, it's all it's all coming together. It really it's it's funny how these things are related. I mean, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but and look, I'm I'm definitely an American who's guilty of wanting to be entertained. Um, I saw this funny meme the other day, and it was something about like when you when you go to have your lunch break you have like that ancient roman impulse to want to be entertained while eating and you get out your smartphone to watch something while you snack on something um but with the writer strike being over now late night tv's coming back Absolutely. Uh, and i'm bill, excited bill, about that bill bill maher is a show that uh we we tend to uh, uh indulge in you know you know, not always because we completely align with everything he's saying, but just because he's entertaining. I, you know, I've, I've watched him since I was real, you know, I was much younger, believe it or not, uh, with uh, 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 his show Politically Incorrect. And it's always been, oh, you know, he's yeah. always been good at putting different voices on his show, uh, which I can appreciate, almost in the, in the vein of a, of, a, of a Buckley, right? You know, you, you didn't necessarily agree with everything Buckley was saying, but at least he, he was, he had different views on his show, right? So uh, we, let you know, them duke it out. Yeah, I feel like um, you know, and, and I'm speaking like I was around when Buckley was right, actually doing his show. I was just a child the last time he was on television before he passed, apparently. But uh, but I've seen a lot of old clips as well, and I always appreciate watching the debates. It's always interesting. Yeah, something that I think we're sorely missing today. Again, I'm I'm drifting away from our topic, but the bottom line is you start started making me think about political debate. Wow, you know, and and that's a whole other conversation that we need to have. But uh, but yeah, I think yeah. what what entertainment does, especially like late night entertainment, uh, the, the foray that they've taken on uh, a lot of these late night shows into politics is really interesting. And having that ability to to have that those voices on air again is is very useful. And and the voices of the writers who supported those shows is yeah. really helpful. Um, but again, it's entertaining because they do it in a comedic way, and, I, and that that makes it palatable, I think, for such a broader audience, right? Sometimes I, I'm, I'm confused about 
the viewership of these shows and it seems to be very strong but at the same time is that reflected in the political engagement right i, I don't know but again the side side point yeah. but but the bottom line is that, i don't yeah. know because because for me like it, it used to be just entertainment um but then especially during the last administration being able to um because I, I don't stay up that late. I, I never have been able to. One, I'm not... I like Having a show start at 11.30, I'm like, no, I've, I've already been out for an hour. Um, but early the next morning, 6 o'clock the next morning, being able to catch the clips of the previous night's uh, late show with Stephen Colbert, that was, in addition to entertainment, just in really dark political times, it was such... Um, such a source of not just entertainment but comfort and a reality check like yeah, no yeah. you're not crazy you're not what's alone. going on around you is crazy yeah. <laughs> you know yeah 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 who do you think T? I think, I think just, i'm concerned about it just them still being relevant after all this time being off what do you think yeah uh so i'll have to i'll have to be honest um so i i had heard of the the strike um however for the better part of the last four months I haven't watched any TV. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I've just, I've been... I mean, between working your job, owning like four different businesses and having three kids under the age of what? Seven? Six. Six. Yeah. 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 I, just, I, think you, not... I think you get a pass on, on missing If you were watching stories. TV, I'd wonder what's going on. That's the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. thank, thank goodness no, you haven't watched TV. Yeah. No, no be on shows fire, for right? me. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I do. I do. Uh, you know, when I was able to engage and watch a little bit more and catch those little tidbits that you're talking about, especially during that last uh, political, um, I'm not going to say fiasco, but um, just all of the the negative press uh, that was around there around that that time. And like you said, you know, Colbert and and um, oh my, what's the the young man that was on Comedy Central? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Um... Oh, Trevor Noah. Trevor, yeah, Trevor Noah. Yeah, like those yeah. those guys. I mean, they they gave. Um, they were more. They were very personable and and gave. You know, com they were passionate. Um, you know, yes, things are still funny. Uh, you know, we're going to we're going to get in that comedic relief, but uh, we're also going to shed the reality on this topic. I, I know you yeah. came here to laugh, but we also have to be serious about what's going on. And yeah. I think that was you know those um, those. Uh, commentators you know those hosts uh i think they transition to that very effectively uh a lot yeah. of that probably has to do with their writers and the the sentiment that they wanted to convey as well that hey you know something is is seriously wrong here and you're not going crazy uh we have to you know maintain um our our level of engagement and and kind of ward off this threat of uh the rage and you know the the political um I, I guess the political uh, energy that's trying to ensue and take over um, and, and uh, just, you know, just really devour what, um, you know, the democracy that we've enjoyed for so long, uh, you know, go to this more autocratic and, you know, hi, I'm the king <laughs> type, type yeah. of thing. Uh, and so, um you know that that whole political environment. I, I think that those hosts did a great job of, of again transitioning us through that time. And uh, now that you know we're getting, we we see where you know there was a strike and disagreements between 
the writers and the producers and, and production companies to have that resolved, um, you know, let's say we can get back to our normal activities. <laughs> I mean, no, but that's a great point, though, about just the 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 fact that this wasn't always I mean, yes, there were times, especially when we were kids or even when our parents were kids where late night really was just for chuckles. Right. Mm -hmm. And yes, there were times when politics entered part of one monologue, you know, Dan Quayle said something idiotic and, you know, or things like that, but that wasn't the entire, um, you know, the entire thing, but really what the last administration would happen was it, it showed just how much the comedy was not just for laughs, but it was also a real art form that held a mirror up to what was going on in DC um, and across the country and used humor to kind of facilitate a bigger conversation about like, we need to look in the mirror and realize that we're, we're not doing so hot. We need to fix some things, you know? I'm just thankful that uh, the strike included all of the streaming shows as well as the network shows. If it was just the network shows. I don't think anyone would care. That's probably that's a good point. People stream so much now that yeah. that was the smartest move that the that the union could have done was make sure they were all on the same page. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's another whole interesting uh, uh, evolution of of our entertainment, right? Is that uh, these yeah. the networks have have ceded so much uh, market to the, the streaming, mm -hmm. and 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 to their credit, they've jumped on board and getting their own streaming going as well you know netflix was running away with it for a while and amazon you know just started running with it then say oh nbc and cbs oh, well, we've got to do it too you know so they all we're not about to be blockbuster yeah, <laughs> yeah. right <laughs> we're not about to blockbuster us oh man well, that hurt my feelings you know the funny thing is is that we still have a dvd player connected to our tv and it's like there's no dvds anymore <laughs> like, like now I remember when VHS was around, and now there's no there's no Blu-ray. Right? What what happened? You know, it's amazing. Did you guys did you guys see any of my um my posts on? I guess it was on Facebook or yeah, it was on Facebook mostly. Uh, when I went on vacation with my son uh, in August. Yeah. Yes, I I, I remember that post. <laughs> so so we there were a couple because so we we stayed at this cabin um like literally just outside a national park, just outside Great Smoky Mountain National Park, um, right in the woods. I mean, you you could not have gotten closer to a national park unless you, like, illegally built inside of it. That's how close we were. We were, like, the, the road signage was NPS, National Park Service signage. We were that close. It was amazing. Got this really cheap deal. I don't know how I, how I found it. Um, but we get there, and, you know, it's cute. It's a little cabin, little loft space for the kids upstairs, and everything is wood and plaid and very woodsy, right? And the TV is what you would expect at a rental place, right? It is like a 20-inch little TV with basic cable and a DVD player. Like, all right, but you're not going to be watching TV except before maybe falling asleep at night. And my 8-year-old, I, I, it <laughs> I felt like I was like Jane Goodall going to study primates. <laughs> it was like some weird social experiment. He's like playing with the thing. He's like hitting it. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, where's the home screen? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, there, there isn't one. You have to just put on this box and then it sends the signal to this, to the TV so you can watch it. He's like, what? I'm like, here, I'll show you. 
And so we were like channel surfing, which to him, like, what's a channel? He doesn't know how to, ch- I mean, he likes YouTube originals and he likes, you know, so anyway, so he finally finds, uh, I don't know if it's TBS or, you know, some basic cable channel that's rerunning a movie, like a Harry Potter movie or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. he yells to me in the kitchen. He's like, daddy, I'm, like, I'm cooking dinner. What's up? Daddy, um, the movie's already started. How do I go back to the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you you missed it, sir. Yes. <laughs> it's golf like, forever. Is it, yep. Wait, but how do I get rid then, of the commercials? <laughs> then, yeah. yes, then he asked yes. for that. Then the, then the commercials came on. Okay, Daddy, how do I skip? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, he never he never had that experience of, like, watching TGIF on a Friday night and having your sibling yell to you from the living room to the bathroom, like, get back, the commercials are over, and having to, like, Run back to the bathroom. Delete. Like, yeah. Pausing. <laughs> going, going. No. Can't pause the TV. Right. Right. Amazing. Oh my god. It was. It was the funniest thing. Because you know, to your point, Liam, about streaming. One, I think streaming has eclipsed so many things on regular. I mean, I, when when Netflix got went from being just the DVD delivery service to being streaming, they're because it was all other people's intellectual property, they they had nothing. The inventory was trash. Then they get other, you know, and they they have these contracts to get more um, movies and shows on there, and then that drives Blockbuster out of business. Then they start doing their own original series, and it, it wasn't just the volume that overwhelmed the market. It was the quality. I think about any of the big TV shows any of us talk about, um in the past several years and with the exception of hbo it seems like most of them are you know a netflix original or like mrs mazel was on amazon like yeah, yeah. these things were not things on hulu like they're not for the most part abc nbc cbs anymore but, but the thing is, is that there's so many now it's like there's literally there's hundreds of shows like you know yeah. you scroll through netflix and you'll see like I, I there's too much. There's too many options. <laughs> like, and what if you, yeah. if God forbid, you actually like more than four of them? It's like, when am I going to watch all this? Right? Like, you know, uh, my son and I, we 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 started to like a lot of the Star Wars uh, shows that they started bringing out. You know, um, you know, Disney, <laughs> that mouse boy. I tell you, biggest best investment they could ever make because they just started saying, oh, we, we can make a show about this, about that, and there's one that comes out every season. Either way. And they don't, they don't even make, need to make multiple seasons of them. They just come up with an entirely new show. But anyway, so we started to like those, and the new one came out. It's like, man, it's six, seven episodes in. I'm like, I want to watch it, but I, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people who will just sit there and just watch, and it'll be, it'll be on. And if I fall asleep, I fall asleep, and I'll just start watching again. And and there's, but that's that's just one show. You You'll never get anything done ever. Like, you, you know, like you know, it, it to me, it's like it's. It, that's not quite an embarrassment of riches. I don't know what the the saying would be about that, but it's mm-hmm. it's a problem. Like there's too much entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's overload. Right? Maybe I'm, yeah. I'm over. Well, and I, I aside from to to bring it full circle, aside from having adults um, be distracted from their, I would say our civil our civic responsibilities and being more engaged as citizens. I think that's sort of the biggest side effect for adults. But I really do wonder sincerely about kids because everyone in this conversation right now can remember being bored. 
you can remember having to be creative because there was no distraction around and you had to make something to do. And it was in those times that you had to do things like, you know, collaborate with friends to make up an activity or decide upon a game to play together or build a fort or a clubhouse or like do all those sort of things that we did as kids. And now it's like your kid not only has the entire back catalog of Disney going back to like before World War II on a touchscreen, but then like 10 new series coming out every single weekend. I mean, my son doesn't understand the fact that when we were kids, if a movie came out and you liked it and you saw it in movie theaters, you'd have to wait until like next Christmas for your Nana to buy you the VHS cassettes so you could watch it again. <laughs> Otherwise, you would never see it again or you might see it on you know a TV rerun. Now it's just constant all the time. As long as there's Wi-Fi, I can be satiated. I can always have something to distract me and not have to do anything else. Yeah, there, there is a, definitely definitely a danger in that instant gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's something that you know from our children now to even our generation, um, where we just that that immediate just oh I have to have it right now and being able to be satisfied uh, in in so many different areas, not just in our entertainment, um, but because we're talking about entertainment, you know, we we do get distracted uh, very very easily, um, and you know simply as our, our phones, you know, they're always they're always with us, they're always attached to our hands. And we have the ability to just tap into something to take our mind off of what our immediate, you know, focus probably should be on, you know. Uh-huh. And I think it's only going to become a bigger problem um, as, as you know, our kids get older and progress. Uh, you have to be very conscientious and and almost intent um, in making sure that they're not overstimulating themselves with the the streaming activities and video games and, and all those things. So. Um, yeah, where I think in our generation, our access to it was so little that we couldn't do too much. But now, because it's everywhere, you can actually do too much. You can you can actually stream too much. You can actually play video games too often or, or too long. And, uh, you know, people are monetizing it as well. Um, but uh, in a sense, you know, you want to be able to still have that creativity that we enjoyed as as kids to to innovate and to grow things and to do things and build things uh so uh yeah you have to just make sure that your kids aren't missing out on that um that aspect of their childhood um because that's what uh ultimately uh transformed them into functioning adults yeah yeah so so you you know you know one thing i think is going to be the big effect that we begin to see all this is it's going to stifle originality Right. That that's really it's I don't think so much pure creativity will go away, but but it's like originality. It's like when you're so saturated with other people's ideas, it's like when do I have an opportunity to come up with my idea that that's isolated from everyone else's, right? If I'm seeing a sci-fi show that looks like this, a romantic comedy that looks like that, or or you know, something a political show, whatever, if I'm seeing all those things, like, well, where's my original idea, right? Where does it come from? You know, and I wish, you know, John and I have talked a little bit about this before, is that, you know, you see it in music, right? It's like we've begun to herald and, and hold in high regard music that has no originality whatsoever, mm-hmm. but it's the only thing available. It's like when, when, when literally 90% of the songs that people that are popular are pretty much just regurgitated, you know, uh, music from 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Like, yeah, how is that? Entirely. That's not... 
that you know to me that's that's a lower level of creativity i, I mean and i go you know, yeah. that's probably going a bit far but that's not it, it's not original it's like you're taking someone else's really original notion yeah. of music and how they envision sound and all this stuff and they put together this beautiful com composition and you're just taking that and saying, oh, well, let me just wrap a few words over that. It's like, okay, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think important. you're exaggerating at all. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think that's an exaggeration at all. I mean, sincerely, I, there are, I can't think of all their names, but there are a few guys who are, what are they, sound engineers or something that I, I've seen on like Instagram reels who all they do is just show you how like, oh, this new song from like 2019 to 2023, like present day is just someone taking the hook from this track from 1977, <laughs> the rhythm guitar from this track from 1976, the, you know, percussion from this song from 1985, whatever, and just lining them up on a sound editor on a desktop and just meshing them and then singing over it. And it's exactly. like, yeah, yeah. you didn't write any of that, exactly. you know? <laughs> exactly. And, and, I, and I was actually, see, the thing is, I was actually okay with that all the way up until like the mid to late 2010s, right? Because at okay. that point, and I couldn't put a pin on it per se, but at that point, people started to pretend as though it was original. Like before in the 90s, 80s, 90s, and in 2000, early 2000s, people were like, yeah, this was this great arrangement of this composer, right? And I, you know, I really liked that beat, so I put it in my music. Like Puffy wasn't yeah. trying to act like he was writing that music. No. He was just like, all right, right. I'm a sample. I'm a sample I'm a, everything. I'm sampling, right? <laughs> but now it's like, Kanye, we, uh, you know what? If I could put a pin in it, it would be the interview with Kanye West where he called himself a genius. Like, I'm like, Hey, I like your song, but the, the G, you see colors in music. Eh, no, no, you see colors in other people's music. So, so, so rather, excuse me. They actually painted the portrait. You just got the paint by number kit and did that. So, the, so my point is that it's like, like you know, it's it, if we're not gonna pay homage or homage or whatever you want to say. To the to the past to the people who actually wrote the music, then that's when we're going right. the wrong direction. It's perfectly fine to 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 take in to take inspiration and do something with it. That's fine, but you got to give respect where respect to do. Don't you know? You know, it's like look, listen. I didn't learn to write the music. I didn't learn to read the music. But this is what I did do. Right? Mm -hmm. Be honest with it. Right? And if and if, and, and, and 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 I'm not saying there's definitely a talent. To DJ, right? You got deeper peach crates than somebody else. You're gonna put on a better show, right? And that's yeah. what Kanye West had. He had the best peach crates around, right? He had a good knowledge of good music, and he was playing good records. But he wasn't writing music. I don't. Even, I don't even know. Frankly, I don't even know if he reads music. You know, the funny funny thing is, and, and again, I'm not a musician myself. Funny thing, I remember the whole um, debate where Pharrell and uh, uh, Alan Thicke, I always want to call him Alan Thicke, but Robin Thicke, his son. Robin Thicke. Uh, mm -hmm. They yeah. did that song, yeah. and, and they were, and, and, and uh, Marvin Gaye's estate sued him, and they were like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, that's, no, that's, uh, you know, that's our, that was my father's music, you know, it was like, it's like, oh, no, it wasn't, you know, and, and they, they put it, laced the track one over the other, it was like, no, that's the same beat, and, you know, uh, yeah. uh, you know, Dancing on the Wall, I forget what, what the name of the song was, but anyway, so it's like, and 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 they had the deposition with Pharrell, and and he was Pharrell was just they were asking him different questions about it. The lawyer for the for Marvin Gaye's estate, and Pharrell was just pulling stuff out of his hindquarters, you know, like <laughs> it's like, nah, do you even know what that means? I think at one point the lawyer asked, him, "Do you even know what that means?" <laughs> he was like, <laughs> his answer was, "I feel uncomfortable." That was that was Pharrell's answer. I, I feel uncomfortable.
Come on, man. And I I respect Pharrell. His song Happy was a beautiful song. It was nice. So be it. But you got you you can't just disregard the 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 what these what these what people came before us did. So so what all I want to see, I just want to see people, I want to see kids, I want to see adults, all of them, just come up with original thought, right? Original. You know, don't don't always just you know take what's what you see and build on it, which is fine, but Come up what, what what new things can we come up with? What new ways can we see of looking at the world, of looking at sound, of looking at literature, looking at television and movies? What are the new things? Right? That, that's that's doesn't that's that require here, so. doesn't doesn't that I mean, I think there's been a debate since even before mass media, since even before recording technology, about the extent to which anything can even be original, right? Like there there were times where if you went back to classical composers, Mozart in his childhood being forcibly isolated from other people's creativity to just make your own thing. And maybe there is not any true originality. You're always, your mind is always taking inspiration and bits and pieces from people who inspire you, people who who you look up to, or people who came before you, and that's fine. But then to the extent that you can be original, that you can reconstitute previous parts of, of art or thought or or literature whatever it is doesn't that require at the end of the day unplugging like not constantly being inundated by spotify youtube all the different streaming you have going on to to kind of go back to an earlier point where you're so saturated with with media all day every day that your your mind literally doesn't have the time to get bored and let what you've already heard and seen sink in on a deep level and appreciate it and process it and and derive something original for yourself yeah no that's a great point i think that's what it that's what it would take right you got you got to separate yeah yeah agreed which is hard to do (laughs) no it is hard to do but we sort of you know you know as we're all fathers here i guess of, of young kids and and there's some requirements that we place on well that i place on my son to to unplug in a sense and mm-hmm. he does get that but i i don't necessarily hold myself to the same standard unfortunately but <laughs> right. i can i can i can make him better than me yeah yeah i mean so, we had, that's the goal right yeah, yeah. yeah. do better but...